We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. And I have returned from my little trip up the north. I call it the north. I can't believe it was New York. I got a lot of things to say about that area. Up north to where Turning Stone <laughs> Casino is in New York, near the Syracuse, uh, Utica, Utica, whatever it's called, area. Sylvan Lake is where we stayed, which was like a beach town, I guess, in the summer there. It's completely dead. Um, what a, you know, as you get in, it's amazing as you drive north in this con- in this state like New York, and you could just see the complete difference in human being that live up there and that lives like by New York City. It's just it's insanity. And I'm not knocking these people at all, but life is definitely more simple out there. You can drive for miles and see no structure, which we did a lot of <laughs> going up there. Um, unfortunately, no no good tourney stories to tell. No good runs for me in the tournaments. Um, did not do well in the tournaments up there. And you look tournaments doesn't matter how good of a player you are in my opinion you have to run good in tournaments to have any chance that's how the structure is especially for the 400 uh dollar tournaments we did nightly which were good structure but a tor- turbo structure so you really the blinds go up high um but i did have a really nice score in a plo 55 cash game which uh paid back all of my losses in the tournament and so basically broke even for the trip which is which is never too bad so plo really helped you out yeah the plo really helped me out the plo <laughs> the plow <laughs> plow yeah geez i wish i was into cars i'm just not i never have been and it would be fun you should not wish you were into cars being a degenerate gambler is not something you should wish to have yeah that's true i mean i do like the sports gamble a little bit here and there but i guess you're right if we incorporated cards into the equation and with my frustration level when it comes to variance it it would not have been a recipe for uh, success at all for my mental health or probably for my wallet there was one cool story about the trip where we found Within and they have like nightclubs there and like um I guess like um how do I describe this? This wasn't really a nightclub. <laughs> There's no nightclubs in, in Turning Stone Casino, but it was like a live band and a club. But then in it there were table games like Party Pit. So we found a craps game that no one was on, and I convinced the dealer to I convinced the the pit boss to lower the stakes on the craps from a from a fifteen dollar min to a ten dollar min, which they never do. But I I smooth talked that it. it was only me and my friend Frankie on a table, Frankie Bagels, we call him and you know, look, I was like, look, if we don't play right now, nobody's playing this game. So you guys aren't making any money. Isn't it better if we lower the stakes and you let us play? Uh, so he was like, you know what? As long as you tip the dealers, that's good. And, and we're poker players. So we do tip the dealers on crap. So and, and they knew that, too. They're like, oh, you guys are poker players. Yeah, come on in. Because 
Uh, obviously, that's a it's always a telltale sign that people will be are more willing to tip on the table games. So that was a fun story getting them to go down to ten dollar min. Unfortunately, we ran bad in craps too, though, so we, so we lost. That's so we ended in another L. But you know, you can't always win in a casino. You can't always win. But actually, before we d- jump into any of the signings the Giants made, this just popped up across my Twitter. Breaking news of sorts, not actual news, but. An interesting quote to say, to say the least, from Pat Leonard, who's at the owners' meetings right now. John Maris says the Giants haven't closed the door on signing Odell Beckham Jr. He says he's in favor of signing him back. But Mara also said, despite being in favor of it, which I always knew, he is only in favor of it if both Joe Shane and Brian Dable can make it work. Yeah, I'm not shocked that he said that. I'm guessing Leonard asked the question. He didn't just unprovoked say, yeah, we want Odell Beckham back. I'm sure he right. was just responding to a question. He's not going to say no. So if you just express interest and then just leave it up to Joe Shane and Brian Dable, that makes sense. For me, though, it's like, where are the Giants getting that money right now? That's kind of my question with a lot of things. It's where are they getting the money? With Odell Beckham, it seems like $4 million wasn't enough. So he said on Twitter, I think last week or so. So how much is he going to command on the open market? I'd imagine... We haven't seen a lot of teams running and flocking over to him. So what does that contract even look like? Right. And that's the big thing here because John Mayer saying this doesn't surprise me, but it's also important. It's an important note because he was never in favor of trading Odo Beckham Jr. John Mara, one of the Giants to resign him to that mega contract, was really gung-ho on that. They made that resigning. And then when he finally when the Giants finally traded Odo Beckham, it was a Gettleman decision. And I bet I'm sure it was the coaches too playing a role in that as well. But it was everybody outside of John Mara who wanted him to stay. And even, I think, maybe other parts of ownership. But John Mara wanted Odell Beckham on that team. He wanted Odell Beckham. He loves Odell Beckham. So it doesn't surprise me that he says, I'm in favor of signing him back. At the same time, like you said, and like he said, it depends on if Joe Shane and Brian Dable can work at work. So let's start with the first part of it, which is the more important part anyway, because I think the second part's easier to envision. Can Joe Shane make it work from a salary cap standpoint? The Giants do not have much cap space right now. Signing Odell Beckham Jr., despite the fact that, look, he did say, I'm not looking for $20 million. I just didn't want to be lowballed with four. Okay, that's fine. Maybe it's something in the range of a Jacoby Myers-type contract on a shorter-term basis. In that sense, look, a player of his injury history, and it's extensive. This isn't no, you know, Saquon Barkley tours ACL and MCL once. This is a big-time injury history with multiple tears and an older pro- a player to begin with. Now you can't really craft a long-term deal there, right? So it's a short-term deal, which means you can't play around with the salary cap if you're going to sign an Odo Beckham Jr. So the only way for them to kind of get out of this and make a decision like investing in Odo Beckham Jr., taking that swing, is if they do something like restructure and extend Leonard Williams or restructure and extend Adoree Jackson. And if they do those two things, and one other way is by signing Saquon Barkley to a long-term deal, but that to me is a devastating and horrible decision if they sign Barkley to a long-term deal not not the idea of signing him to a long-term deal that's whatever I'm not for it but it's not devastating and horrifying but it would be devastating and horrifying if they signed Barkley to a long-term deal and lowered his cap mid to cap hit to like two million in the first year because that just means they're zeking that contract and they're and just I'm using that as a ver as an adjective there but the Zika contract is what the Cowboys did with Ezekiel Elliott they signed him to a massive deal which was dumb to begin with and then they backloaded the hell out of that deal to the point where they had to release him this offseason, despite most of it being dead money. 
and they're just paying him to not be on the roster. Giants cannot get to that point with Barkley where they're allocating cap space to him to not be on the roster. So any deal they do with him long-term, I want them to keep it pretty leveled. And so I don't want the cap it to be backloaded. So it's really just a Dory Jackson and Leonard Williams. And I'm personally in favor of extending and lowering the Leonard Williams contract hit. Though I can understand why Joe Shane might not be because he might not want to allocate 55 million to two defensive tackles moving forward with a $40 million quarterback under contract. Right? So it's an interesting situation with Odell Beckham Jr. Clearly, he's not going to get what he originally expected on the Odell market on the open market, which makes him more of a potential bargain for the Giants. And it adds upside to the idea of signing him. You increase your ceiling when the price goes down. So I'm more intrigued now than I ever was, but I just ultimately don't know if I see this working out financially. I think Brian Dable, part of it that Mara mentioned, could work, Nick. That part I think could be easy. Brian Dable can find a role for him in this offense pretty easily. And so can Mike Kafka, but the financial side of it, I don't know if I see it. It really comes down to what other teams are willing to offer him as well, which it doesn't seem like it's too much right now. But another, I think, I guess, thing they could do is extend Dexter Lawrence. Like we brought up Leonard Williams. You could do that with Dexter Lawrence, but then you also more than likely lower that first year's cap hit, which we don't love because I feel like the Giants have done that with a couple different players this year. Daniel Jones is only making what nine million dollars this year. Like now that that contract is constructed in a manner to where it's not going to kill the New York Giants for a quarterback contract. But yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with I don't see this happening. I wouldn't be floored or shocked if it did, but it's not going to be at the original number that I think Odell initially thought he was worth. And again it makes sense. This guy hasn't played since the Super Bowl last year (laughs) like he hasn't played in a while and he has like you said an extensive injury history i would like to see it i think if it was a prudent contract i think it would be an excellent story point an excellent talking point for discussion and conversation but i'm not optimistic that it's going to happen and he's like my opinion basically the only way to add more of a ceiling to this offense at this point like you might be able to you you could add a ceiling if one of these receivers drops to 25 that has ceiling upside I don't think it's going to happen personally the way the NFL look last year. Just look at last year's draft. People went crazy for receivers, crazy for receivers. Say Velas uh, Jones. Remember how early he was drafted? Some people would laugh at the same thing with Wondell Robinson at 44. And, you know, there were a lot of receivers drafted earlier than anyone thought they would be. I thought Tyquan Thornton would be a day three steal. He ended up being a day two pick. Same thing really goes for you know, a lot of the uh, the players we already mentioned. So I think based on that, they might not even have an opportunity to get any kind of upside at receiver really in this. Not, I don't want to say any kind of upside, but any kind of immediate upside for 2023. Odell Beckham is that opportunity right now. He still, ha- in my opinion, has wide receiver one potential if he can somehow get lucky and stay healthy. Like, and that's not impossible. Like, we've seen, we've seen crazier people with crazier injury history stay healthy for a year. So I like that they're not closing the door. Maybe there is a situation where this thing can move on and the Giants can be like, you know what? Let's bring him in. Let's take this chance. Let's risk a little bit, mortgage a little bit of our future cap space to have that kind of upside for this year. And I think you're also right about John Mayer. Like John Mayer obviously signed off on that trade, but I think Dave Gettleman had to be like, look what he's doing. He's going on ESPN before our week seven or week six game, whenever it was, might've even been before that and throwing our coach and quarterback under the bus. And then John Mayer was like, he is all right, do what you got to do. And then after that season, he found himself in Cleveland and the Giants ended up getting Dexter Lawrence, Jabril Peppers and O'Shane Zimenez ultimately out of that trade. But I don't think he... John Mara, that is, really wanted to part ways with him because Odell Beckham Jr. was such a lightning rod for the franchise in 2014, 2015, 2016. And it's funny because, you know, 
obviously O'Shane didn't work out and Peppers didn't work out, but <laughs> Dexter Lawrence was a massive hit. I, it's turning out to be Dave Gettleman's, in my opinion, his best value pick of any of anything he did, essentially. Like Andrew Thomas at four, not hard to do. It's a top four pick. Like, good job, but it's not hard to do. But from a value standpoint, landing at 19 overall, this guy who, and he wasn't really that, in my opinion, he wasn't really that pick until last season. Last season was a true breakout season for Lawrence. If you look at the pressure numbers, they were nothing like they were in the previous seasons. That could be because he was playing in a different position, but that's good coaching. Good coaching can unlock talent. But regardless of where, where, what led it us to this point, Nick, we're at the point now where we would much rather have Dexter Lawrence on the roster and Odo Beckham Jr. Right. And it's not even 100 really close. Yeah. Like yeah. Factor in 100 injury history. And yes, Odell Beckham plays a more important position, but the injury history, the age, the production just from the 2022 season alone, like you won't even consider it. So that worked out for the Giants. We'll see what happens on the Odell Beckham front. But let's talk about some actual signings now that the Giants made. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A few more uh, depth signings for the Giants since we last spoke. Some of these players might be in the mix for starting roles this season. Uh, it's kind of debatable. I think a lot will depend on injuries and a lot will depend on how they how they perform in training camp in the preseason. But we'll start with the one that I think is probably most likely, Nick, to have a decent role this season. And that's Bobby McCain, the defensive back from the Commanders, who the Giants signed uh, late last week. I know you had a chance to break down his tape. Um, trans to, to be completely transparent, I have not looked at anything from Bobby McCain film eyes. So Nick, why don't you take over and, and let us know what you saw on tape from him, where you think he might fit in the Wink Barndell defense. Is this going to be a situation where he plays one position? Is it going to be a situation where he plays multiple positions? And then how likely do you think he is to compete for a starting role? As the defense is currently constructed, Dan, I would say that he is pretty likely to compete for a starting role, although I will say I hope the Giants do find somebody to upgrade over him. Now, he'll be competing with Dane Belton and Jason Pinnock, presumably to start alongside next to Xavier McKinney if the Giants don't add any other safeties to this team. And I like Bobby McCain. I don't think this is a poor signing. He's a 29-year-old, undersized player. I believe he was third or fourth in tackles last year for the commander's defense, playing a versatile role where he was safety at times, where he did play apex defender as well, which is basically the slot. And we know how Jack Del Rio called that defense. There's a lot of match type of principles. I felt like he operated well when the routes were in front of him, when he was operating in zone match, he understood spatially, had a broad vision where those routes were, knew route concepts, knew how to react to them. I think from a mental standpoint, He's pretty solid addition 
He's just a little bit undersized, not the longest type of player. In terms of his tackling attempts, he missed only 12 tackles last season, 10 in the previous year. He's never had a single-digit missed tackle rate. And when you think about the addition of Bobby McCain, Dan, you can't help but kind of look at him in the sense of will he be able to at least give the Giants what Julian Love did to maybe like an 80% range, right? Because he's not Julian Love. And Julian Love is a much better tackler. I feel like this is a, a pretty substantial step down from Julian Love, but that's not necessarily a knock on Bobby McCain. I think McCain will be okay if he is forced to start. I think the fact that he has the type of experience in the slot that he's shown throughout his career gives you that opportunity to put him there if Darnay Holmes flounders, if they don't like Darnay Holmes next year. So you can move him in the slot, and I like the versatility aspect of Bobby McCain. But I'll say I love his tenacity. I love that he is physical through the catch point. Julian Love is a better overall player, So you, and he's younger. So it's a little bit of a step down, but you got to look at the contract too. Bobby McCain is not making nearly as much as Julian Love, even though Julian Love's not making that much money relative to what we thought maybe earlier in the offseason. So that's where I'm at with Bobby McCain. I think it's solid, but ideally you don't want him starting next to Xavier McKinney. You just want your defense to be a little bit more well-rounded. But he said that that's what he's competing for. I mean, he's, I'm not looking to be your nickel back. I'm looking to start at safety. Think about what the Giants did last year. They added Dane Belton, right? Jason Pinnock, they seem to like, and they still suggest that they like those players. So Biden McCain beats out your second year safety in Dane Belton. This is going to be similar to the next guy we talk about. That's not ideal. That's not a great situation, but all in all, I do like this addition. Yeah. From the sound of it, it's based on what you said. It seems like they're probably on the same page, the Giants, as far as what McCain expects and what the Giants expect, and that would be that he would play safety for the most part, or at least compete to be the safety there. Maybe they view this as not a one for one, but a cheaper replacement for Julian Love now that they're cap strapped after, you know, spending before this signing the most money in frequency of any other team. I would ask you this then, and I know, look, again, he can play the slot if they really need him to. You mentioned that might be a possibility, and he can play kind of that overhang role, which, like you said, on the last podcast or whenever we last discussed it, Julian Love was doing a lot of that stuff too. Look, Julian Love had a versatile role on the defense. I'm sure that's something they value in McCain as well. Is there anything you saw on his tape that maybe you thought immediately when you saw, even if it's a small sample size or even just something that popped up in your head as far as something you can project based on his skill set, Nick, that he could actually bring to the table that would improve the defense versus what Love offered or something he does maybe that you think he might be able to do better than Julian Love type? Look, he has 11 career interceptions and 28 PBUs. I don't have Julian Love's numbers in front of me, so maybe you could say... It must be lower than that. It is, but he's also... Bobby McCain's been in the league since 2015. Okay. But I think Bobby McCain at the catch point was something I appreciated. And I would say the same thing about Julian Love. I didn't hate Julian Love at the catch point, but then you think about one of the biggest points of this season, and I know it was early on in the game where the Giants got blown out, but what was that, a fourth and seven? I believe it was against Devonta Smith in the slot where he just completely misjudged what should have been an interception and he missed it. I don't know if Bobby McCain misses that, even though Bobby McCain isn't that type of length. If Bobby McCain was playing middle of the field close, because again, he's played so many different um, roles within Jack Del Rio's defense. And that's another thing I also like about, not to stray away from your question, another thing I like about Bobby McCain is this was somebody who played with Patrick Graham. This is somebody who played under Lou Anarumo. He played under Josh Boyer. 
Matt Burke. He's been under like five or six different defensive coordinators when he was with the Miami Dolphins because they're just one of those unstable franchises that just keep recycling their defensive coordinators. And then he got to Washington, played two seasons there, started both of those seasons, and was actually pretty damn reliable for the Washington defense. Even though the Washington defense with Jack Del Rio was a little bit up and down last year, I feel like they were a little bit better than maybe we expected. But I think he can come here and the Giants don't have to rely on him to be that guy who's going to have to play a thousand snaps. He can play 600, 700 snaps. And I feel like he can give you a good 600, 700 snaps. And it gives you just more options because last season we saw what the Giants had to do, Dan, after training camp. You just had to go out. You had to get Fabian Murray. You had to get Nick McLeod. You had to get Jason Pinnock. You had to get all these guys because you did not have the talent on your roster because you were trying to turn over your roster from the Dave Gettleman years. So now you're just bringing in those veteran guys who understand their role and will compete. But if they don't win that starting job, there's not going to be any animosity. It's just going to be like, hey, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to compete day in, day out, and I will earn that job from you. That kind of addition where he could play safety and defensive back, cornerback, slot, that's a positive right now for where the Giants are in free agency. It's not like they have a lot of money to spend and you had to make tough decisions, let Julian Love go. Find somebody who's competent at least to replace him. Yeah, you find somebody who's competent to replace him. You find somebody who, you know, on the surface does a lot of the things that Love can do from the sense of the versatility, position versatility, and kind of the positionless football and the reliability and dependability. Because like you mentioned, he's started a lot of games in the NFL over the last two seasons. That's probably something that they valued highly taking over a role like the one Julian Love had, where you mentioned it, you know, he was essentially in a lot of, he wasn't the captain of secondaries. Adrian McKinney wore that patch, but he was somebody who wore a lot of hats, filled a lot of roles, didn't always make, you know, didn't make the plays that killed you as far as missing tackles, which is always a killer from that third level with the safety position. And then being out of place in coverage or having those coverage breakdowns, which we didn't see a lot of with the Giants last year either. We saw none of it under Patrick Graham, but we didn't really see a lot of it last year either with Martindale. A couple come to mind, but nothing really. So that's the whole thing they're thinking about, right? Like, can they find somebody who's dependable and reliable? And at least for now, I think Bobby McCain can can be that option if, like you said, the thing they want to happen doesn't come true, which is Dane Belton takes the big jump in year two. Obviously, there's also still the potential for them to make this upgrade in the draft, right? When you draft a safety one, two, or three, rounds one, two, or three, and I'm not saying the Giants will do that, but if they do, that's a player who will immediately be expected to potentially start this year given their situation. Yes, absolutely. And the Giants, there's been rumors about Brian Branch. Like, say if the Giants got Brian Branch at 25, then Bobby McCain is an afterthought. Brian Branch will slide right into the lineup. and He'll be the starter next year, Xavier McKinney. You could do a lot of different creative things with what you want to do in terms of how you distribute coverages, how you mask your disguise your coverages, which we know is really important to Wink Martindale. So I think if Brian Branch is available at 25, he would at least be in consideration. But one thing about Bobby McCain that I didn't mention that I, I don't love about him, and not to have a pun here, but I did love about it with Julian Love was his run support and kind of his pop on contact. Bobby McCain's five foot nine, 190 pounds, and he flies downhill when, say, okay, there was a play in 2021, Dan, where Dalton Schultz, big guy, right? He runs a dig route, and Bobby McCain was the middle of the field close safety, and Dalton Schultz caught the ball, starts to turn up field, got annihilated by Bobby McCain. It's like, wow, look at the hit power there. That's a true hit stick type of uh, hit right there from Bobby McCain, but you see him in run support when, when somebody's coming downhill at him. It's like he's one of those 
speed bump type of tackler sometimes. Like he might hit you, but he's not going to slow you down that much. You, you just got to kind of hang on and allow your teammates to kind of rally and gather around you. So that's kind of my um my knock on him, I guess, is because Julian Love, Julian Love wasn't going to come down and just absolutely stick you, but I felt like he was a much more sure tackler, which is really important for this defense. And I and that's that's one little thing that I had a little bit of um reservations about was his power and his adequate play strength in terms of run support. And that stands out to me, Nick, for sure, because I think there's flashiness to like Okay, a safety, we all want the guy who can play the single high and make the interceptions. Like a lot of what uh, Xavier McKinney did two seasons ago was fun and it was flashy. He was making those picks in the middle of the field. Jalen Hurts threw up that, you know, that go ball on the right sideline. He came from the center and picked it off. But the flashiness only gets you so much. You need more importantly, I think, than anything else, that, that third level ability. At the third level, it's that ability to be a short tackler because I've seen so many bad Giants secondaries and teams in general on defense side of the ball with like Darian Thompson at the third level missing tackles and taking bad angles. What was the play we saw last year that got Dane Belton benched when he took a bad angle against Damian Pierce? So that's almost like the baseline. It's like kind of like with quarterbacks that we always said they have to be the first and last person out of the building. That's not a plus. That's just a baseline thing. It doesn't, you shouldn't be using those types of things in the plus column. And so if he is somebody who you feel like has at least the capability or the potential to become a liability in that sense, and I'm not saying you do think that, or just maybe not a liability, but a below average contributor in that sense, it definitely concerns me. And it's, it's a play it's, you know, it's a position that makes, it makes me even more interested in potentially upgrading that. If there is a player capable of that in the draft, I've become a little, I don't want to say I've become a little shy away. I guess I've shied away in recent years, Nick, of wanting to invest in safety. I feel like it's a position that busts a lot. I feel like a position that gets misscouted a lot. A lot of the players we think are at the top, I feel like aren't making the impact at the NFL level. I expected them to. And I think also in that like third round range with like the Darian Thompson's and the Ashton Davis's of the world, you can get hyped about like one trade of theirs, but ultimately they're like too small to play in the NFL or they don't have, they don't have really that complete total package of what you just kind of broke down. The ability to play the deep half, the ability to play, you know, slot line up in the slot matchup, fill the alley, maybe a short tackler. So it's a position that I I'm I am kind of happy that they're that they're taking it that you know they're taking it this way in the sense that they're bringing in someone who has played a lot of games has started a lot of games and at the very least can be like your floor the floor setting of that. And there's another aspect of his game that I absolutely love. And if anybody wants to go check out a detailed YouTube breakdown, I did I did it for Big Blue View, and I'm probably going to post it on the Big Blue Banter page eventually. Nice. I probably should do that this week. So if anybody wants to check that out, it should be dropping soon on Big Blue Banter. It's already over there at Big Blue View. But I loved how he sifted through traffic. There was a play against the Colts this year. I think Sam Ellinger was the quarterback. But regardless of the fact, they had a bunch formation and the wide receiver off the line of scrimmage who Bobby McCain was tasked to cover released underneath Michael Pittman. So Michael Pittman was just basically creating a block for Bobby McCain. And somehow Bobby McCain, and I'll, I'll say this, man. Yeah, he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. He's 29 years old. He's quick, man. He's got really good short area quickness. His ability to close with is, is something that impressed me. And he worked underneath that pick route by Michael Pittman Jr. to get to Jonathan Taylor so fast. And I was really impressed by it because Ellinger looked up and he was like, I can't throw that football. Next thing you know, Sam Ellinger got hit and just kind of threw it out of bounds. So I really loved how he sifted through traffic in man coverage. And this has got to be one reason why Wink Martindale really wanted to add him to the team was because when you face teams third and one, third and two, third and three, they know you're going to run man covered, especially if you're Wink Martindale coach defense. They're going to have those yeah. rub routes. They're going to have those pick routes. And you need players who are good at sifting through traffic, either undercutting or going over the top of the pick route, of the rub route, and then closing with and getting to that hip. And Bobby McCain did that well throughout the state. 
that's a big thing too, because you're like Nick said, you're seeing more and more offenses take advantage of like, I mean, it's obviously what you're going to do in third and short, you're going to play man coverage, but take advantage of it by running mesh routes and things of that nature to create traffic and natural picks as they call them all things that are legal in the NFL and not always called as offensive pass interference, unless you're the giants who got like racked up like six offensive OPIs last year, but most teams get away with it. So I like that trade. I like that little little nugget right there. He does a good job of sifting through traffic on the mesh routes and things of that nature. That's something that would stand out. And I, I would say this, I mean, just off the top of my head, Nick, it's not like something that I have charted or anything. I don't think Julian Love did it, had, had too many plays like that where I was like, damn, you did a good job of, of undercutting that route or getting back over the top, closing with and, and hitting the ball out or anything like that. So maybe that's something he can upgrade just from a speed standpoint and just from the recognition standpoint. You got to be confident to undercut a lot of players, they work over killed. the top of that yeah. traffic. Oh, yeah. If you don't if you don't have the ability to flip your hips and be fluid and locate, then Jonathan Taylor could turn that flat route into a wheel route. Then who the hell is going to cover him? That's your responsibility. Right. So I also kind of like that confidence that he showed on that one specific play. I like it. All right, let's move on to some other signings. These are all lower price signings in the vet min range. Not quite vet min. All of them seem to have incentives like we've noticed is – uh. Pretty common with this new regime. They like to build in incentives, and I kind of like that too, by the way. Let the player earn their contract or earn more out of their contract. We're going to start with wide receiver Jamison Crowder, former wide receiver out of Duke, was billed as a big-time punt return type guy coming into the draft, but also people thought he had slop upside. Didn't run a great 40, and that kind of knocked him. He doesn't have long speed, but he made himself into a pretty good player, I think, during his NFL career. The Jets, the the Commanders was was first, actually. He, that was where he had his best years. And then most recently with the Bills. Another slot receiver, everyone says. Why are the Giants signing all these slot receivers? But to me, I look at it like the Giants are trying to play a positionless style of football at the wide receiver position for the most part, especially since they already have that big-bodied X-type or Z-type, whatever you want to say he's going to be in. Isaiah Hodgins on the roster, potentially Colin Johnson coming back too, depending on how his recovery goes from the from, from his injury. So. Thoughts on Jamison Crowder? Thoughts on the Giants adding all these slot guys? I know it has people up in arms. Uh, where, do you think he can add anything to this offense? I'm not sure if he'll add anything to this offense. And I joked on Twitter that the Giants are becoming a slot machine. They should move to Vegas. Very corny dad joke. Absolutely love it. But he can be a punt returner, Dan. And that's right. what the Giants need. Richie James is not here anymore. You do not want a Dory Jackson taking your punts. So who is going to be your punt returner? Jamison Crowder, he's going to be 30 years old when the season starts. He's not exactly the most athletic wide receiver anymore, but he's still smart in terms of how he's going to run routes, where he can find the voids within zone coverage, and where to be based on the coverage. He also more than likely has rapport with Daniel Jones because they've worked together in the past. They're both Duke guys. This is the fourth guy, by the way, Dan, on this roster that went to Duke, which is kind of crazy because Duke is not exactly the powerhouse football school. But Daniel Jones has worked with Jamison Crowder in the past. They weren't teammates because... Jameson Crowder's career started in 2015. 2014 would have been his last year, Jameson Crowder's at Duke. But either way, they still have a relationship. So there's more than likely a rapport between the two players. And I just think mostly he's going to be a punt returner. When you look at the Giants wide receiver core right now, you have Wandale Robinson coming off of a torn ACL. He'll likely be available as of right now, but you can't say that that's a given. Sterling Shepard, what are we expecting from Sterling Shepard? He could likely not make the team. He might not be able to pass a physical. I feel like the Giants re-signed him now just because you want him to be with your doctors. You want him to be able to use your facilities as he recovers. And if he can get healthy by next season, 
that's awesome. That's all gravy. Other than Paris Campbell. But if Wandale and Sterling can't get healthy, then now you have Jamison Crowder to rely on, who knows Daniel Jones, who is a reliable punt returner, who is a smart route runner, who will be that guy in the locker room who can be one of those veteran types. So you just bring him in. And I understand the jokes. I do. Like, look, we want size at the wide receiver position, Dan, but this is a low cost signing. Somebody who's coming off of a broken ankle from last year who was with Buffalo and then his time with the Jets and his time at Washington, they were productive, but I don't think they're necessarily going to rely on this player. It's just, hey, if Wandale, Sterling Shepard can't get healthy. Now we have a contingency plan. Plus, he can operate in the Richie James role if the Giants were actually healthy last year and be that reliable punt returner that we know the Giants need because he can't be fumbling football twice against Seattle, putting a Dory Jackson out there and then getting him hurt in the subsequent weeks. Right, exactly. I think you nailed this one. I don't really pay much mind to those who are you know, laughing about it or hyper-focusing on the size of these receivers because the key component in this deal and in this signing is that the Giants looked at last season. They went into that and they said, we went into that season with Sterling Shepard in this specific role. And we went into that season saying, you know, maybe we can involve Wandell Robinson, a rookie into that role. If he picks up the playbook fast and move Shepard back to the outside where he has actually played a decent amount of snaps in his career, then Shepard gets hurt and then Wandell gets hurt. And they're left with Richie James in a much bigger role than they really wanted him to be in. So what they're doing now is, they're making decisions that can prevent them from being back in that position. You saw it with the mound of defensive linemen. You saw them with them signing Nacho and then showing interest in Ashawn Robinson, despite fully knowing that they're going into this season with their, their big two at defensive tackle and potentially DJ Davidson, if he's healthier, playing a role. doesn't matter. They want depth. It's the same thing at this slot role. They know how important this Richie James role is. And even Richie James made it look pretty productive for a little while. Wando made it look really good in that game before he got hurt. So now if you have Paris Campbell, who's already has an injury history, a big injury history, projected to play that role, you have Wando Robinson. Like you said, we might might be back for the start of the season. We don't know that. Sterling Shepard, same kind of thing. We don't know. Why not add more depth so you have more of, like you said, those fallback plans. And I'll say this about Jameson Crowder, why I'm more excited about it than I guess most are. I think the age, the injury, all that stuff is not as important with a player like him because he never relied on his speed and athleticism. What he does well is change direction. What he does well is what you said, find soft spots in the zone, understand coverages and how to beat them. And that is so, so much of a great fit for what this system is all about, the Dable Kafka system and what they tried to do last year and how they actually found success in the pass game. Just taking all the system stuff aside, just think about what were some of the ways the Giants moved the ball through the air because the Giants did not pass for many yards last year. But a lot of what they did was through Richie James in the role that Jameson Crowder, I don't care how old he is at this point. I don't you know, want him to be 35, but at age 30, like you said, coming off the injury, he's going to play that role, in my opinion, better than Richie James. And I think Richie James was a little better than people give him credit for. But I just think he has more savvy to his to his game, Jameson Crowder. He's a better route runner, and he understands how to get open in those spots. So to me, he could come right on the field and be a contributor at any time. And that's exactly what you want from a death piece. It is exactly what you want, but at the same time, I don't think we want that because we want Wandell to seize that role. Yeah, we want Sterling right. Shepard to be healthy. But we this want is the that. ceiling still, but you'll take a yes. floor. But we'll take the floor, and I think this is a good floor to have in Jamison Crowder. And we're not sitting here saying, or at least I'm not, and I don't believe Dan is, that Jamison Crowder is going to catch 70 passes for over 1,000. It's not, it's not like that. It's just a reliable asset to have if your first plan does not work out, similar to Bobby McCain. It's just these contingency right. plans that the Giants are adding. And this is a smart way to build your roster. And we know this, Dan. Joe Shane has made this so clear. So is Brian Dable. 
the number one of the like I would say probably the number one trait, Dan, that they want in a wide receiver is intelligence. They want intelligence. They've said we will not have wide receivers who don't know where to be, essentially. That's what they've said in the past. They're saying we need guys who are smart. Jameson Crowder is smart. Jameson Crowder knows where to be. And that's going to mean a lot. It's going to mean a lot in terms of going into the draft, too. I don't think Joe Shane is going to go out there and draft wide receivers who aren't going to know how to run the route tree within the confines of this offense that they're running. And Jameson Crowder will at least be able to do that. Yeah, and change of direction skills seem to be really important for this current Giants regime as far as scouting receivers and finding receivers. Even a player like Isaiah Hodgins, I think, does a really good job of changing directions. And part of it is also he runs really good routes that kind of dictate the coverage, and he does a really good job setting up defensive backs. But he also is somebody who I think changes directions very well for his size. I felt the same way about Colin Johnson before the injury. I was really surprised at his change of direction skills yeah. for his size. So I think that's the number one trait, and he brings that. he's just another addition there. For depth in that sense. Um, let's talk about another signing they made. Cornerback, formerly of Penn State, now of the Lions in the NFL. Amani O, I'm calling him. I'm not going to even try to pronounce that last name. He's a longer corner, bigger size, had really good testing at the Combine. I don't know if he's lived up to kind of what his athletic profile and potential were were destined to be but a lot of people feel like he might be a really good fit for the Giants based on the fact that he might be able to play press man coverage in this Wink Barndell system I know you Nick after watching his tape would probably have some pushback on that and we always say on this podcast we won't be pure homers and just love every single signing the Giants make and say everything's going to be amazing because that's idiotic and that has no value to anyone except for the homer fans and so give us the deal give us the lowdown is he not as exciting of a prospect as a press man corner as maybe you originally thought. No, I don't think he's as exciting as people are building him up to be. I think a lot of people saw the fact that he's six foot two and they're like, oh, he can play press without watching the tape. Once you turn on his tape in terms of his press technique, it's a mess, man. His feet, his eyes, his hands, they're not married together. He gets caught reaching a lot. He opens his hips prematurely and gives away inside releases. Like it's all throughout his tape. If anybody wants to go, Check out Big Blue View, scroll down a little bit, or just type my name into Google Nick Filato and look up Amani Oruwarie, and, and my article on him will come up. And I don't believe he is best in press man. I don't think he is great in man coverage. I think he is sufficient. I think he ideally would be the outside cornerback three. I think in an ideal world, though, can he have the upside to start if Jerome Henderson, who I have a lot of faith in, can iron out a lot of these mistakes he has with his press technique, with his false steps, with his lack of patience and discipline. If he irons that out, I think he could maybe be a starter, but one that you're looking to upgrade over. But that doesn't mean this is a bad signing because you need depth on the outside and you need players who add specific things to your team. And I think Amani O does add specific stuff to this team. Look, he's not the most powerful in run support. There were times where he was getting blocked by tight ends and he wasn't shedding. And I was like, come on, but he was at least able to box the guy back inside. So he's doing his job, but you want to see a little bit more tenacity in terms of his ability to stack and shed blockers at the point of attack but he has ball skills, bro. He has really good ball skills. Like this is a player who had four interceptions, I believe, or six interceptions in 2021. He has nine interceptions total and 14 PBUs. And this is also someone who in 2020 had pretty solid tape starting opposite of Jeffrey Okuda, who struggled a little bit. And then in 2021, that's when he had the six picks. I thought his tape, I think people are making a little bit more of how good he was that year, but just because he had six interceptions and some of those interceptions were very impressive. Others were he was toasted at the line of scrimmage and the pass was really bad or the ball was tipped up in the air. So you got to 
kind of take that into context. But I still think he has ball skills because there are plenty of plays throughout his film where he is playing through the catch point and he is being physical and he's harassing players when he is in phase. But I don't think he's overly natural as a man coverage guy. I think he's a little bit better in zone with his ass turned to the sideline just because I don't think he has the elite athletic ability in terms of his ability to swivel his hips, flip his hips, change direction, short area quickness. I think he's better at reading route combinations and attacking stuff, click and closing on stuff underneath him and kind of using his intelligence in coverage. I think he's solid in that area, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a terrible man coverage corner. I just don't think it's his most natural part of his game. Yeah. And so overall, you're looking at this, like you're taking a gamble on a player who's still pretty young, 27 years old, has athletic traits that are projectable, has ball skills, production on tape. And maybe, just maybe, you put him in a defensive back room with really good coaching like we saw last year, and you get a Fabian Moreau random great you know, great season out of him. Or you get a stretch of games like you saw with Nick McLeod, where McLeod looked like a capable starter for the Giants. And those guys are not, in my opinion, long-term fixtures for the Giants. What those, those guys are are examples of really good coaching and players taking to good coaching. And putting them in a position where they can succeed. So if that for Bobby or for Amanio, that means, you know, you play him a little bit more off coverage. You play him a little bit more, like you said, in the ways that he's had success, that might be the case, but just because he joins this defense doesn't mean he's going to be playing press man the entire time. The giants are not that kind of defense. No NFL defense operates in that way right now. So what you might see here is an example of the giants making a really low cost gamble on a guy who has basically everything you want from an athleticism standpoint, in my opinion, proven ball skills, and just some inconsistent tape, I guess I could say it as. And so maybe with the right coaching, you can fix that. And that's the gamble. And a little bit of an inconsistent narrative as well. Like yeah. he is a bigger cornerback. It doesn't mean he's good impressed. From a technical standpoint, he's not. He has sub 32 inch arms, but still it's like 31 and, and three eighths. So that's about 47th percentile for cornerbacks. It's not terrible. He just needs to refine his jam and needs to refine his technique and press trust himself a little bit more. Again, I don't think it's a terrible signing, right? But this is also somebody who's going to frustrate giant fans because he gets grabby. If you put him up there and press man up on the end zone, he's going to get beat at times. He doesn't have the athletic ability to quickly change direction and quickly handle those pivot routes. There were plenty of plays on tape, one against Trenton Simpson, I believe, or not Trenton Simpson. Wow, I'm watching him for Clemson. Trenton Sherfield, the wide receiver formerly of the 49ers, where he was toasted on a pivot route because he overpursues and he overplays right. of the drag route, try to get to the hip, and he doesn't have the change of direction to get back outside. And then it was another one against Devonta Smith where he grabbed. I mean, this is somebody... Dan, who had like an insane amount of penalties through his first three seasons. And I'm looking at it right now. He had 10 this year, eight the year in the previous year, and then seven in the, in the year before that. That's a lot of penalties. And the craziest part is six of those penalties this season. And I don't know if this is good or bad. I don't know if this is, if this is positive for him or not. Six of them came in week three against the Vikings when he was playing Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. That is an insane amount of penalties that he suffered. Because when he is in man coverage and he is beat, and if he doesn't anticipate it, he's going to get grabby. And that's something that I did not really love about his film. And then he ended up getting benched shortly after that Minnesota game. He dealt with some little injuries here and there, but he got benched after the Miami game. And he didn't start playing again until week 11, which was against the New York Giants. And I honestly thought his best game that I saw was probably against the Giants. He only started one catch for 11 yards on a quick slant to Isaiah Hodgins, and he was right there on the hip and made the tackle. But he had a couple good plays where he was impressed 
or when he was slightly off press, when he carried vertical routes and he was a little bit more disciplined with his hips. So maybe there are there are reasons to believe that he can be a little bit more disciplined, that he can be a little bit more patient. But I just don't want that narrative to be out there um, that I've just seen floating around Twitter. That, oh, yeah, they added this press man guy who he could be their starting cornerback, too. It's like, dude, if he's the starting cornerback, too, next year, Dan, that is a colossal failure on Cordell Flott if Flott is healthy. Flott should yeah. beat him to be the cornerback. And if he doesn't, that similar to what we said about Bobby McCain, that's a freaking issue. Right. And that's exactly a good way to look at it. You're taking, look at it as more of a gamble, not somebody who should be slotted in as the corner too. And I don't think anyone would expect that right now, uh, but you never know with a player like him. He, like I said, I do like the profile a little bit from a gamble standpoint uh, and what he, what he can potentially become with the giants. Time will tell on that regard. Uh, in that regard, let's talk about one more of these depth signings. Uh, Tommy Sweeney, Tight end, formerly out of Boston College, actually played his whole uh, He played out his full rookie contract with this team that drafted him, which is not typical for a late round pick, a sixth or seventh round pick. I think it says something about his ability and, and maybe even his upside to some degree, because if you're going to keep him on under contract for four years, it means that you either you like something about him, either like his upside or you like what he contributes in specials or you like what he contributes to the locker room, something like that. But you're not just going to keep that guy on the roster. Otherwise, a lot of these six and seventh round picks get dropped after year one, after year two, or even sometimes in their first rookie uh, training camp. So any thoughts on Tommy Sweeney and what he can potentially bring? 27 year old, six foot five, 251 pound tight end. I believe he is from the great state of New Jersey. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see my mug, New Jersey right there. But I uh, went to Boston College and he knows Brian Dable very well. So he knows this offense. He missed basically the, all of the 2020 season, Dan, because he had a heart issue. And he also, I think, had a foot issue. I think he had a broken foot. So he suffered from some myo myocarditis. So it left him off 2020. He returned in 2021. And he was, I would say, sparingly used. I think he was their tight end three. He ended that 2021 season with... 12 targets, nine catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he only has 18 catches for 165 yards and a touchdown throughout his entire career. So he's not really a receiving type of guy. So everyone's like, hey, this is a blocking tight end. I don't really think he's a blocking tight end per se. I think he is going to be a player who's going to compete for a roster spot. But if he's cut, I wouldn't be surprised. I think the thing I appreciated the most about Tommy Sweeney was his effort was his competitive toughness. He is going to try his ass off as a blocker. He is going to play through the whistle. He is going to be tenacious. And I absolutely appreciate that about his game, but he is a significantly worse blocker than, say, a Daniel Bellinger. Mm. So if you're not really adding too much as a receiver and you're not that great of a blocker and you're just really a high-effort guy who knows the offense, which is important, then I don't know if I'm necessarily plugging you in to be, be an asset on this team. You're going to have to compete. You're going to have to win uh, a roster spot here. This is, again, 27-year-old, has foot injury issues in his past, so I'm not certain if he'll make a team, but I didn't see somebody who was like a dominating blocker, and by dominating, when I mean dominating for a tight end, Dan, I don't even mean somebody who is like holding the point of attack and just steering people away, just lose slow enough, and even that, there were times where I was like, oh, I was rolling my eyes, I'm like, come on, man, be better than that, but right. I don't know, it was, uh, it was one of those things where I'm just, I think if the Giants draft a tight end on day three that player would more than likely take the roster spot from Tommy Sweeney, but still a different type of guy, I guess, than, than the Lawrence Cager, who's a little bit more of a wide receiver. I think he offers a little bit more as a blocker than say like a Lawrence Cager type. Yeah. Just frame wise, they should definitely offer more just from that standpoint alone. It'll be interesting to see how that tight end situation shakes out. And if the giants maybe even consider 
going to the regular season or at least points of the regular season with more tight ends than usual and typical, especially if they consider Darren Waller kind of like a hybrid player in their offense that might give them more leeway to keep another tight end. And we'll see if that happens um, right now. I feel like the tight end depth is honestly better than I can ever remember for the giants. Cause I'm a big fan of Daniel Bellinger and what he can bring to this team moving forward. And Darren Waller's on top of him on the depth chart. You usually can't go too deep on a depth chart at tight end to be excited about him. Uh, now you add in a little bit of depth here with Cager and potentially with Sweeney and you have some, some, some stuff cooking there. I'll say this about Daniel Bellinger too. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be a Homer here, but when do you see rookie tight ends come into the league and block like he did? Yeah, never. And when do you see you rookie tight ends come into the league and play the amount of snaps he played? That's even more important to me. And have the amount of plays designed for you, right? Which says something about Darren Waller, man. It really does. That Mike Kafka is now going to be able to design those plays for Darren Waller. It says, gets me excited. Gets me all hot and bothered. He should be tight end too in fantasy. I think right now, I have him. Over oh yeah, is that the talk? No, but that's just what I think. I would have him. Oh, that's obviously Kelsey one. We know that, but I would yeah. say. Pitts, Andrews, Hawkinson. Uh, these are the debates for tight end two, potentially Waller Kittle. and Kittle. Well, Kittle that never makes uh, Kittle should make it, but I don't I feel like he never makes it just based on the injury history. But yeah, I think Waller has the by far and away the most target upside of any of those players. Easily. And I think yeah. it says a lot that the Giants went out and got him. We know that they've been trying to add explosive playmakers. I don't know if they've think that there was one in the draft. Maybe they do, you know, that they'll get at 25. I'm sure that they look at guys like Marvin Mims a little bit later on day two, if they do have their eye on a cornerback uh, at 25. Either way, I mean, there's there's players that I absolutely love who the Giants would have to get at 25 that we'll be talking right. about soon. A lot of Zay Flowers, but Jackson Smith and Jigba to me would be way gone by that point. Yep. All right. Anything else? Recent Giants news that stood out to you? Any uh, rumors or anything else? No, no, man. I'm just eager for the draft and i can't wait for this month man because we're going to be covering this stuff extensively yep i'm excited too all right thanks to everybody who tunes into the big blue bander podcast keep making a mistake and not promoting the beginning of the show hopefully one day i'll change that but if you want to help us grow the show please 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 make sure you're on auto download on itunes or spotify or podcast we rely on downloads we rely on your downloads that's straight up only way i can say this to you we need your downloads um so make sure you download every episode, even if you have to delete it after, which I would suggest you do so it doesn't have storage on your phone. Take storage up on your phone, but make sure you hit that download button. Don't just hit play. Leave us a uh, five-star rating or review if you haven't already on iTunes. These are all ways that you can help us, by the way. You don't have to do this, but it would help us. And so, and it's free and easy, I think, for you guys to do. YouTube-wise, join the Big Blue Banter page there. Subscribe. Hit that bell button so you can get notified on new videos and make sure if you're watching a video you just hit the like button on that video it's really important for you guys to hit that like button similar to how important it is for us to get downloads on the podcast side so thank you so much have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon